The Owner's Box is part of the In The Money Podcast Network. You can always log on to inthemoneypodcast.com where you can follow along. You can subscribe to the free newsletter. And not only do you have the Owner's Box, but also shows such as the Players Podcast, JK Plus One, The Matt Vernier Show, Redboard Rewind, Nick Luck Daily, Talk Racing to Me, In the Ring with Acacia Courtney, and Off Track with Maggie. So lots of great things to listen to. Just head over to inthemoneypodcast.com. Welcome to the Owner's Box. Now, here's Billy Koch and Michelle Yu. Welcome to another edition of the Owner's Box. I'm Billy Koch, founder and managing partner of the Little Red Feather Racing Club. Joining me, as always, back from Saratoga, the great, the incomparable Michelle Yu. Michelle, we missed you. Awesome. How was your trip? Uh, my trip was really good. Uh, it was super fun, and I got to do a lot of stuff and uh, see a lot of people. And it's very. I, How much champagne you know, did you drink? I, I honestly did not drink that much. Um, we went to dinner one night. I didn't have any champagne, and then the next night I did have some. And the last night I was there, I had to like splurge and buy myself a way overpriced bottle just because I was so desperate for a glass of Vouve. But really, I didn't. And then, like, obviously, when I was working, I didn't drink. And on Travers Day itself, when everyone was out partying, uh, I did not want to be around, like, 45,000 unmasked people. Um, So I actually just sat in the office for, like, the last couple of races all by myself without a beverage in sight. Might have been kind of enjoyable. Well, if you want to listen in. I'm going to comment on Michelle's uh, performance on Fox later in the show after we talk to our special guest, Hugh Robertson, who is the co-owner and trainer of Mr. D slash Arlington Million winner, two Emmys, uh, 27 to 1 shocker over domestic spending a couple of weeks ago. We got Hugh on. He's going to have a great interview. I'm sure of it, Michelle. And uh, so, But stick around because I do want to comment on your uh, performance because I thought it was amazing. I thought you did great. Um, but we'll save that. Let's save that for the second part. Yeah. What are the three things of note? Dump by so, the first thing is kind of just like Travers Day as a whole. Um, yeah. There were six grade one races. There was another grade two. I think that overall, even though we saw a lot of favorites be winners, what we got were the the showdowns, the matchups that we wanted to see. And it, it ended up being super fun. I would say the biggest takeaway was the uh, stretch duel in the forego between Yapon and Forenzi Was it wait Michelle was it a stretch duel or a war? I mean I mean it was a battle for so sure. So what so you know listen that was insane. We're watching it and we're all just screaming. Um, because it wasn't just like uh, Frenzy Fire just tried to lean over and like just take a little nibble out of Yopon. He literally tried to savage him for like ten seconds. What? Yeah. Now I've I've seen that once before, Michelle. But what what happens? What's the re- what goes on? Explain it. I mean, okay, this is like kind of a normal horse action right like um when horses are out in the field they nip at each other they bite each other when we're riding babies and we're teaching them to go like side by side the more dominant horse will you know turn over and like bare their teeth or give like a little nip on the neck of the horse next to him in fact Billy, if you watch a lot of the post parades you'll see if there's like a race horse that's being a little naughty or you know some doing something the pony horse will bite him and it's he's not like biting him to hurt him right he's like showing him hey i'm the boss 
they're exuding their dominance there. So it's not like unheard of to do just on a day-to-day basis, like for a horse, but usually in the thick of a race coming down to the wire, uh, you're so focused. The horse is so focused on what's going on. They don't really think to, Oh, by the way, I'm, you know, I'm more manly than this other horse. <laughs> and in this particular instance, that is if frenzy fire was like, I don't know if he was like, excuse me, let me go by. How come you're not letting me go by? I'm I'm a boss and you're not a boss. Right. What it was, but he kind of like nipped at him like three times. And then he really wanted to get him. He actually tried to grab his bridle. And yes. at one point he caught a hold of his of side of his head stall. Very lucky, two things. One is that uh, Yopan's tongue was to his left. Because if it was to his right, I think he could have bitten his tongue off. Yep. Um, and secondly, he's extremely lucky that when he grabbed that head stall, that all of the keepers were put down and possibly taped, um, knowing how thorough you know the the, the Asmussen barn is, um, to prevent it from just coming undone in like the natural course of running a race. Because if he had grabbed that and it come undone, think about if you're four strides from the wire and oh. you're bridled off no it would have been terrible i mean would have been crazy right we've seen reins break and we've seen a bridle break here and there but that would have been nuts so i'm glad it ended up being just a safe all over situation uh i think some people were hurt hating on ortiz for not grabbing his horse right away he was trying yeah well he you know the first couple of strides when he like turned he just kept riding and then you can see if you watch the slow-mo head-on he like put his hand up like two or three times to grab the rein but the horse's head was turned inside, making the rein flush against his neck, so he couldn't grab right, on. Right. And when I talked to both the riders afterwards, like Santana was like, I seriously did not even know what that horse was doing for like <laughs> he was like, I felt like all this like for, he said it felt like it was like ten minutes that horse was like trying to bite me, but I didn't even know it at first. I just kept looking at him like, What is he doing? Yeah. Um so it was just crazy. I guess overall you feel like you're probably lucky you didn't win, even if you were maybe the best horse, because how heartbreaking would that have been to win that grade one for him and then be DQ'd? Well, interestingly enough, Michelle, and I heard this on the Fox telecast the next day, they said it is not an automatic disqualification. Right. It's uh, not. It's it's, it's, it's going to be if you cost the horse, horse a better place. Right, right. Right. Well, uh, the I'm most sure. amazing thing to me, obviously, the whole thing was wild, but the, the I'm going to say not amazing. I'm going to say the funniest thing is if you watch in the slow-mo, watch Yao Pan's face. Because <laughs> even he was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> but he like still, it, it was awesome. Like when they pull Forenzi Fire and Yapan like kind of goes with him because Forenzi Fire has got a yeah, I mean, it was wild. Anyway, congratulations to um, the owners, the uh, Heigelbrots, uh, and uh, again, Steve Asmussen with another grade one and another grade one sprinter, which is uh, pretty incredible. There was a, a really um, – uh, she's pretty good, um, the sprinter Philly who won the um, ba- grade one ballerina. You think she's pretty good? Gamine. Uh, uh, kind of an easy win at two to five for Gamine, owned by Michael Lung-Peterson. <laughs> She, I think she actually had to work a little bit. I mean, I said this on air, and I'm going to stick with this. I don't think seven furlongs is her ideal distance. Well, I talked to Baffert, um, who trains after the race, and um, he said he wants her to go faster. He said she yeah. went too slow. Like, she needs to go faster and just go and go and go. She went 23, 45, and 2, 109, and 1, final time, 121, and 3. Um, and, and he was just disappointed that she didn't go faster. I, you know what? I, I really appreciate the nice things you said about our Philly, that we own a little piece of Estilo Talentoso. And um, Juan Ariagata has done a great job with this Philly. She won a grade 2. And 
it's so rare in a race. Um, Juan said, I'm going to put her into the race. I'm going to go after Gamine. There's no, there's not a lot of speed in here. And she did. She was only, you know, a half length back at the half mile pole. And she really was trying to run with her. And it might have cost us a better placing in the end. But he went for the win. And you're going to eat her. Right? No, we weren't going to eat her. Eat her or beat her? Beat her. Oh, That's yeah. The only can't let a speed horse right, get, right. get loose. Right, and I like what he did. And even him after the race, it was funny. I talked to him, and he goes, I thought we could beat her. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'll tell good. you what, Billy. You, you beat her in looks. That filly was by far and away the best-looking oh, horse. Oh, she's a beautiful filly. Then, Heads and shoulders above. Wait, if those two sprint races weren't enough, the next race was the Alan Jerkins Memorial grade one. So and wait, wait, you have... Normally, we don't do all these race recaps, no. but like the day was just awesome. They were awesome, and life is good. Coming off the layoff, goes out there and just rolls 21.97, 44 flat for the half. And Jackie's Warrior who is such a cool horse, comes up the inside. And, Michelle, I don't know if you talked to Mike Smith, but it looked very interesting down the lane. It was almost like he kind of was waiting with Life is Good and then kind of rode him right at the end trying to come back on Jackie's Warrior. What happened there? I did not talk to Mike after the race, actually. Um, I was caught up talking to Joel and talking to uh, Steve. Like, we were doing other things. So I did not get to catch up with Mike. Um, but... The, the whole race, I think people are thinking like, oh, it was kind of crazy and, you know, he went fast and then he let him like, he let him drift out and then you let Jackie's Warrior up the rail. But I mean, you can't just fight this horse, right? And they said in the morning he hasn't been lugging out, but we've seen him in races do it. So I, I, I don't like begrudge Mike just letting that horse be. A lot of times if you try to take a hold or yank him around, it's going to be detrimental. Very similar to like Charlatan and the Saudi Cup. Um, you know, when that horse sure. likes to get out a little bit, you just got to guide them and not force them to go somewhere because then you're taking a hold and they can be very resentful of that. Yeah. Well, these three-year-olds went 121.39, which was faster than the 121.74 for Yaupon and the 121.61 for Gamin. So, uh, both horses ran amazing and I'm sure life is good, probably needed the race, but it will be nice to see both of them back in action. And if that wasn't enough, Michelle, then we have. Freaking Latruska, who I thought I, I thought she was beat about six times. I mean, she took on all challengers the entire race and looks like, you know, Bonnie South is flying at the end. Royal Flag is flying at the end. Dunbar Road is coming on the end. And Latruska just holds them all off. I mean, she is just turned into an absolute beast. And congratulations to St. George Stable and Fausto Gutierrez. Woohoo! I he mean, was so happy with her. They are they're cool people. They sat behind us when we were at the Belmont when she won that day. And what a what a what an awesome filly! And if that wasn't enough, then you find then you have Gufo win the uh, uh, Sword Dancer, another Grade One, beating Japan and cross border for uh, Otter Bend Stables. And if that wasn't enough, then it goes to the Travers, and you have this du- you know big time stretch duel between Essential Quality and Midnight Bourbon. Michelle Midnight Bourbon ran a, ran his absolute heart out, and Essential Quality just does the same thing every time. He just does exactly what it takes to win for Godolphin. Yep, grinding it out. Grinding it out. So great, great day at Saratoga for Travers over Day. A, over a billion people, by the way, tuned into the Fox broadcast. How many? Over a million. That's amazing. That's huge. I mean, that's a very big day. No, it's a huge day. And out yeah. at Santa Anita, real quick, I miss Santa Anita. Out at Del Mar, really quick, you had the uh, Pat O'Brien, which uh, was won by Jim. Well, Geno- oh, what I missed? Wait, wait, wait. Well, that's we're, we're like we're. This is supposed to be three things of note. So you're oh, gonna sorry. take away my second thing. Oh, of note. I'm sorry. Sorry, take it back. <laughs> Rewind. 
So the second thing of note, Billy, yeah. uh, is is there were stakes at Del Mar too, and normally, like I said, we don't we don't do recap, but Ginobili was very impressive um, in his win, and most importantly, Kentucky Derby winner Medina Spirit was back in action in the shared belief, and he bested a lackluster field with the exception of Rock Your World, who, I mean, who ran gamely enough with some some errors, I think, but. Overall, Medina Spirit was best. Yeah, Medina Spirit uh, ran awesome, ran huge, and and Baffert needed this race. Who kind of, with him and Gamine winning this weekend, I think it was a little bit of a monkey off his back. Um, ran ran absolutely stellar. And Ginobili, for our good friends at Slam Dunk and Richie Baltus and Jerry McClanahan and Michael Netwig, I thought he front breaking from the rail. I thought Drayden Van Dyke did a great job getting him off the rail and and an easy winner after that big 104 buyer. The previous race, he comes back and fires again. And he should be a horse to reckon with in the uh, Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. Yeah, be a very interesting. What's uh, point three? Go in there. So point three is kind of like a bittersweet. Um, if you did watch the Traverse Day feed, you saw that Whitmore was pulled up um, after the forego. I spoke with Joel Rosario, who said he just didn't feel great, so he just opted to pull him up instead of galloping him back. He did load into the van on his own power. Um, they said they had some issues with his left front when they got back to the uh, barn. They x-rayed him, and he did have a small fragment um, in his left front sesamoid that you know was causing him an issue so um they had that and they thought maybe a suspensory although i hadn't seen anything since about the suspensory um the on-track attending veterinarian actually told me that not only was this not life-threatening um but it really wasn't even career-threatening and if they had opted to he would have been like 90 percent to come back but we're talking whitmore he's eight years old um, you know, on form, it looked like he might've been tailing off already. So they've opted to retire him. He was retired that afternoon. And I thought it was very cool that Ron Moquette has announced that he is going to be retrained and he's going to be competing in the retired racehorse project. So that is going to be super fun to get to see him. You know, we've gotten to see a lot of very cool older geldings compete in that. And Whitmore is just going to be another one. I, I haven't seen if it's Ron's wife that's going to do it or not, but she does, um, jump and ride. So I, I'm, I'm assuming that it's going to be her retraining him. Very cool. Good story. Good ending for Whitmore. Obviously, uh, last year's Breeders' Cup sprint winner, and he was heading towards his fifth Breeders' Cup sprint, I believe, Michelle. So um, glad it ended up okay for Whitmore. Um, Michelle, before we get to Hugh Robertson, I want to do one commercial, if you don't mind. Okay. It is uh, this, this Saturday, uh, LRF Cares and Del Mar are putting on a handicapping contest to benefit uh, Aftercare, which you know I'm very uh, big in. And um, it has guaranteed prizes, including a BCBC entry and two NHC seats. It's a 500 live money uh, to play on track or TVG and uh, really easy to sign up for. I think you can go to uh, um, try, you know, you could probably go to our website, littleredfeather.com and go to the LRF cares portion. I think you could actually do it on the Delmar website as well. So it's only 500 bucks. It's a fun tournament, 150 entries. It's capped. So it's a really good way to get in the uh, BCBC or next year's national horse players championship. Thank you. All right. You want to get to Hugh? Yes. All right. We'll get to Hugh and we'll wrap things up. Thanks everybody. And we'll be right back. All right, Michelle, fun fact. 
Not This Time is the number one second crop sire. I bet you could have guessed that. He leads all sires in his crop in earnings, stakes winners, stakes horses, and graded stakes winners. Yearling Colt by Not This Time sold yesterday at the Texas Thoroughbred Auction Sale for $120,000. Michelle, that's Not This Time at TaylorMade Stallions. What else? I uh, also want to add that Michelle sired a new grade three winner in Deauville as Bell Harbor Music won the grade three Prix Daphne. Hopefully I didn't mess up that name no, too badly. No, you, you did great. Oh, Later on the same day, Hitch a Ride, who was actually bred by the Elkstone Group, ran a very good race in her stakes debut, finishing second in the Miss Disco at Pimlico. She's a Maryland-bred daughter of Mishawish and has been in the money five of six starts. Earlier in the week, the three-year-old Philly Risky Reward earned black type as well after running a game second in the Lake Erie Stakes at Prescott Downs, bred by Harris Bukitot Sauce. How'd I do on that, Michelle? <laughs> this well-bred filly has been in the money six of eight starts for her owner, RTA Family Trust. Uh, so uh, Mishawish and his barnmate, not this time, are the only second crop stallions to have more than one graded stakes winner and only not this time has more stakes horses. Mishawish's seven stakes horses put him on even terms with the likes of Nyquist, who stands for 75, Frosted, who stands for 25, and Outwork, who stands for 15. At the moment, Mishawish is siring just under 10% stakes horses or runners, which also ranks second highest among all stallions in his crop. Contact... Travis White, our good friend at TaylorMade, we'll give you his office number, 859-885-3345, to book your mares to Not This Time, Mishawish, and even the great Midnight Storm. And we're back here on the Owner's Box. Very special guest today. We have owner-trainer Hugh Robertson joining us today. Hugh, thank you for uh, coming on the show. Anytime. Uh, we know you're dealing with a lot of more important things than uh, the owner's box, but we have to talk right uh, down the road a little bit about two Emmys and her huge win in the now Mr. D, formerly Arlington Million. That was, I'm sure, quite a day for you. Yes, it was. A big day. Okay. But you've won, what, t- over 10,000 races in your career, right? Is that correct? Come on. All right, you've won a lot of races. You've started a lot I've of won, horses. I don't know, fourteen hundred, say. Okay, well, yeah, it was, I've run a lot. Of it was a slight, slight exaggeration. But where did it all start for you, Hugh? When did you first? <laughs> when did you first get into the game? We know your son's into the game. There's a history here. Give us a little uh, background on Hugh Robertson before we we talk about what a magical day that was a couple weeks ago. Well, in 1970 or 71, I guess it was 71. I was in college at the University of Nebraska and I decided to take a semester off and I had always enjoyed going to the horse races never was really involved in it so I took a semester off went to work for Robert E. Lee who was a big time trainer then back in Nebraska and I never left just stayed on the track what was it about it was actually I was in well well I liked it I you always did it. like horse racing. <laughs> did, you, always, did, you, did you like the interested in it. Did you like the early mornings? Excuse did me? you like the horses? Did you what what part about the track did drew you in? Well, early mornings didn't bother me. Besides when we lived on a farm in Nebraska and I was always get up early and actually go do my chores and then head down to the creek and do a little fishing right around dawn. I always like the early mornings that doesn't bother me at all i still get up at 3 30 every morning and 
head out to the barn at four. Mm-hmm. So I always, I think it's the best time of the day, actually. So Hugh, you took a semester but, off to the track and never looked back. How did you translate that, a semester break, into being a trainer? Well, like I say, it just, once I got on the track, I liked it, enjoyed enjoyed doing the work. I, You know, I worked as a groom for only about six months because I had bought a horse. I bought a horse from Frank Kirby, actually, at Exarban, and uh, I went in to get my trainer's license, and uh, there was a steward there, an old steward, who was actually known for being really tough. But I studied all the rule books. I knew what I was doing. And I'm sure Bob Lee, the guy I worked for, had went in and talked to the steward and told him I was okay because I came in. And they said, and he said, well, you want to be a trainer, huh? I said, yes, <laughs> I do. And he said, well, the only way you're going to learn is to do it, he said, and sign my application. And that was it. <laughs> I never took a test or anything. Dude, I, there was hope for you a couple of years ago that you could have been a trainer. Yeah, yeah, uh, Hugh. Many yeah. people, except all my trainers and everybody I know, say I should be a trainer. But the other, one, other than that, it's probably a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> uh, Hugh, no. Interestingly enough, when did you meet your wife? Because we were told that you're not allowed to talk about her, but we want to hear, you know, that story as well as you became a trainer. Well, we've been married for it will be 50 years in October. Wow. I met her in high school, actually. I met her in high school, and we went together, and then she threw me out a few times. <laughs> but uh, we got back together and got married. So and I was, We married when I was 20, and she was 19. My wow. goodness, you. Excellent work. And now put up with me for that long. What do you think is the hardest thing for, for the wife of an owner-trainer? Well, probably the traveling around all the time. I mean, I we went and raced in Pennsylvania for 10 years where I actually, you know, stayed home and was there all the time when the kids were little. And But then uh, I guess it was about in 87 or 88, I went down to Alabama and then up to Chicago. And, and we've been in Chicago basically now for about 30, 35 years or so. Not here continually, but here most of the time. You know, I went to Northwestern, and, uh, right? No, I didn't. Yeah, I'm a. That's I, where my one granddaughter says. What's that? My one granddaughter says she's going to Northwestern. Well, you know, tell her to give me a so, shout out. I mean, it's a great school. Yeah, she, she's. Uh, She's the twelve-year-old. So oh, she's <laughs> so we have a little. We have a little time. <laughs> but, <laughs> She's, she's brilliant. She really is smart, and she's twelve years old, and she's nearly six foot tall. Wow! So she might have a. She's a good volleyball and basketball player. Well, we can use all the help we can get, Michelle. Maybe I know you have a question. <laughs> uh, Hugh, you were mentioning. Uh, well, I, I'm going to butcher this name now, Axar Ben, but I heard you say it much fancier than that. And I think for me, at least, it's always something I've read about. And I've never heard any like hands-on stories from there can you tell us a little bit about being there well it was a beautiful racetrack and uh, it was kind of a kind of a sad story like arlington mm-hmm. uh Ar- exarban 
was there and one is one of really one of the top 10 tracks in the country. They handled wow. a ton of money and they had great horses running there. And it was the place if you were a Midwestern horseman, you went to Exarban and uh, beautiful racetrack. Uh, it, it ended up being in the city. I'm sure when it was originally built, it was out towards the country, but uh, you know, as Omaha expanded, it became right down in the city, but it was a nice place and, and, uh, did great. Like I say that one day they, they ran six days a week mm-hmm. and ran wow. nine races a day. And the only gimmick they had was a daily double for years. And they, when they handled less than a million one day on a Monday, they were aghast that they had handled less than a million. And, uh, <laughs> it was quite the trap and Omaha really embraced horse racing. It was when a lot of places you go and you tell them you're with the racetrack, they kind of look at you as second-class citizens. In uh, Omaha, they appreciated the racetrackers. And they were when you told them they were from the racetrack, they wanted to be your buddy, you know. And uh, it still really is that way in Omaha, even though they don't really have racing there. Per se, they've got Horseman's Park, who runs about a week or 10 days. But anyway... What happened with Exarban was they started doing poorly, and then so they decided they were going to sell the track. And one of my owners offered them $40 million for the track. Whoa. They wouldn't sell it to him. Hmm. The county ended up taking it over and uh, basically bankrupted it and you know forfeited on their notes, and, and uh, it just went into the first thing they did when they – got the track is tore all the barns down I so they could never have another track there it was it was kind of like arlington which i think is probably what they'll tend to do here just rip rip get it all gone immediately and and uh, so they can never think of having another track here that's what happened at exarban and uh, how did it you was get a shame because it was a good track how did you Go get ahead. from Nebraska to Chicago as a home base? Because I know you've been based there for quite a while. I, mean, I know you said you had a stint in Pennsylvania, but, uh, you know, I, I feel like you've been a Chicago man. Well, I went to Pennsylvania. I think we went there for 10 years, basically because we were at Penn National and you could stay there and live there year round. And they basically ran year round. They, sometimes they take a month or two off in the winter. But it was a good place. It was Penn Nationals out in the country. It was a nice place to raise the kids. And, and we stayed there for 10 years. And then I actually went to Alabama. And then I, after Alabama, I went back to Omaha and would race in the summer in Omaha. It was still rolling then. And uh, then traveled to Chicago and has stayed around here basically. I mean, I go to New Orleans sometimes in the winter. My son races at various spots in the country. I've been in Kentucky a couple times. and So, uh, like, you, you live kind of a nomadic life when you're a horse trainer in the Midwest. Uh, Hugh, he, absolutely. <laughs> Hugh, Robertson, Hugh Robertson joining us here on the Owner's Box. You talked about your son. You talked about your family. You talked about your 12-year-old who obviously loves the best school in the country, Northwestern. Um, but Hugh, when, when the kids are growing up and they say, Hey dad, I think I want to do what you do. What's your response? 
Well, I always discouraged Mac from doing it. And then Mac actually went to college for three and a half years. And uh, he called me one day. He said, Dad, I want to come to the racetrack and work for you. And I said, well, once you finish college, he said, I'm, I'm quitting college anyway. If you don't want me to work for you, I'll come and work for somebody else. I said, well, then I guess you can work for me. And he was majoring in marketing, which actually did him well because he's a good promoter and gets a lot of clients. What what would you say that the biggest lesson that you gave Mac was? Well, probably to be patient with horses. You know, I tried to drill that in his head. You got to take your time with these horses and put the horse first. There's a lot of trainers who who train a lot of horses and do well who don't really care about their animals. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that that was just, that's what I mainly tried to instill in him. So, and he's a good trainer. He's done well, probably a better trainer than I was. <laughs> him or whatever. <laughs> you taught him too much. You're, Hugh, you're not yeah. only um, a trainer, but you're also an owner on several of your horses that I've seen, including... Uh, to Emmys who did win the Mr. D slash Arlington Million. Why did you opt to be a part of the business in both contexts? Not every trainer owns horses. Well, I just get a lot of enjoyment out of winning a race with one of my own horses mm-hmm. that I've picked out and started from yearlings and worked them up like that. And I've, you know, actually I've, I've done fairly well. It's hard to do it because back in the old days when I had sheep horses, I always said the thing that made me win races was when I was soon to be broke. And so I had to start jamming horses in to win a race. (laughs) Nothing nothing makes you take shots with horses like being broke. And uh, that, but now, you know, I've got better horses and don't, I hardly ever claim a horse or, I lose a lot of horses, but that's because we've got so many horses. You gotta, you can't have them around forever. An old trainer, when I first started training, told me he said the key to being successful in this business is not having horses when they're good. It's not having them when they're done. He said they're all done eventually. Yeah, that's a great. And, that's uh, a great point. You, you have to move on with. It. Absolutely. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about two Emmys because obviously we, we want to get to the Arlington Million. I just kind of looked up while we were talking on Equibase. On July 19th, 2019, two Emmys won a maiden claiming race for $20,000. Maiden 20. Yeah, maiden 20. Um, so, I mean, how does a horse go from winning a maiden 20 to winning one of the most prestigious races we have uh, in the country? Well, they obviously he obviously got better as he aged with most of the English channels do. He had a lot of little little problems when he was young and uh, I you know didn't get to start him very many times and I just like I had him in a spot where I was I, I'm glad I didn't lose him obviously for 20, but he's not a good looking horse. He's kind of a light made smaller horse and he wasn't in good form and had, hadn't had run kind of sporadically. So I figured I'd better find a spot where he could win. 
and actually he didn't win on the grass. He won on the poly track in his maiden oh, race. Sure. But, uh, you know, that kind of necessity is the mother of invention. Well, necessity is the mother of when you win some races sometimes with these horses. He needed to win a race, so I plucked him in cheap, and he did win, and it all worked out. Well, yeah. Then he then he ran a, a bunch of times. I'm just staring at. He won a won an allowance race, won another allowance race in 2021 at the beginning of the year. Then he, you know, he just was he ran uh, second in the uh, Muni's Memorial, ran second in the allowance race, ran second in the Arlington Stakes, a Grade Three. And you come into the Mister D at. I just want to get this right. Is it? Uh, I want to call it the million. Yeah, that's fine. Twenty seven to one. Now. When you when you're going into this race, what are your expectations? Well, I really thought he would run third or fourth. I he shouldn't have been twenty seven to one. I mean, because a lot of the people who picked the race, a lot of the so called experts, picked him second or third in the race. And uh, I don't know why he went off that big a price. I guess because they bet so much on domestic spending or whatever the, the good horse the Browns was, but they just completely overlooked him. And, uh, I thought he should have been 10, 15 to one in the race. Cause he really had run three quality races in a row and with good buyers. And, uh, he looked competitive uh, compared to a couple of them. I thought the European horse would probably beat him. And, and I, I picked him, third actually behind domestic spending and Aiden O'Brien's horse. And, you know, like they, they were betting, uh, one of the, I wasn't a favorite, but one of the shorter priced horses was that Alpha Zulu or whatever. Well, Zulu Alpha. The sure. time before in the Arlington handy of Zulu Alpha, we beat him. Yeah. We trounced him in that race and they were making him, they're all touting him that he'd run well in there. Well, I didn't, <laughs> I thought we'd beat him again, which we did. But you also set up funny. Yeah, you also took care of domestic spending and armory as well. What is the what were the instructions that day to uh, to the preacher Jimmy Graham? Said go to the front and slow it down. Well, that seems simple enough. We did. So when they yeah. when you when you get the half mile in uh, fifty two point four three, what are, I'm assuming your is your wife there with you or your family the or your co owners? Actually, my wife was, we were sitting in the paddock on the benches in the middle. We never left the paddock after we, I saddled him. And we were sitting there, the two of us. I usually don't let her sit next to me during a race. because She's <laughs> a lot um, louder type than I am. I just sit there qu- quietly and watch the race. Might snap my fingers once in a while when I want my horse to run, but I'm a pretty stoic during the race. But she sat there next to me, and uh, she wasn't hollering either. She wasn't. Until about the 16th ball, and I, no, the 16th ball, I turned to her and I said, he's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> and then she jumped up and started yelling and basically left me behind because I wasn't feeling very well because I had just been in the hospital for a few days, and I could barely walk, and She's running basically out to the winter circle and I'm kind of dragging behind her, but, but we made it. <laughs> well, you made it and you, you cashed a big check. I mean, the first place value in this race, obviously not the Arlington million anymore, but it still was $352,800, Hugh. 
Is this the biggest race you ever won? No. What's Polar the... Expedition won the Jim Beam, and it was 600000 also, and we got 60%. Well, there you go. He I got mean... three, but I didn't know him. I didn't know him, but I trained him. Well, I li- that was you, my first good horse. And you, you picked out What's two that? Emmys, right? So you, you picked out two Emmys yeah. as a baby? Yeah, I picked him. So, yeah. I mean, you have like some that parental pride wins. there. Excuse me? You have some like parental pride, right? Because you picked him out. You've had him since he was a baby and you've gotten him all the way to win the, the Arlington Million. And I got to know where his name came oh, from. Oh, exactly. Well, his name came from the Wolves, who are my partners on him. And we, we all have a granddaughter named Emily. So uh, and there was something in his name with, about Emmy. So we named him two Emmys. Yes, he's and out Everybody of... thinks he's a Philly. But uh, like and he Billy. kind of looks like a Philly because he's, he's so small and light. But, but that's where he got the name. What's next for two Emmys? Where, does, two where, Emmys. Do, we, where do we go from here, Hugh? Well, I don't know. I hadn't really given it too much thought. I may take him. I probably won't run him again until Keeneland because Churchill isn't going to use their grass course early in the year. I don't know if they're using it for the late beat, but I don't think they have any grass races in their meet. But then there will be some grass races for him at Keeneland. If everything goes well, we'll probably run him in one of them. Hugh, um I want to ask, what's next for you um, with the with Arlington? Maybe not going the direction everyone was hoping for for uh, for for eternity. What are you going to do? Well, I don't know that either because it's really all kind of up in the air here in Illinois next year. Hawthorne doesn't know; they're still de- debating on what dates they're going to run. I will probably go to New Orleans this fall if they run. Since they got pretty well wiped out by that hurricane, yeah, we so saw you this. never know what they're going to do. And and Mac, will, my son will go to Hot Springs, and so they run in December already this year. They start earlier, and and uh, we'll probably go to Keeneland for a while with some of them this fall. And I, I'm 70 years old. My wife's been trying to get me to retire for five or ten years. But last year with COVID, we actually stayed home in Nebraska. I was about to drive her crazy. So <laughs> she said, you better get She's back like, to the fine. Don't retire after all. <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> Hugh, we appreciate you coming on today. And I'm just staring at this. It's really nice to see a chart where it says Hugh Robertson. Then it says Chad Brown, Mike Maker, Brendan Walsh, Larry Valley, Aiden O'Brien. It's it's nice to see you see on top in a big race like this. And, and congratulations from everybody out there. It was a really exciting race. We know some people made some money on that race for sure, including your group. Group and wolf well, racing and and uh we hope wherever you land it will be good and we, we're counting on you and we really appreciate you coming on the show today thank you i appreciate it all right hugh robinson robertson excuse me here, robertson. robertson here on the owner's box thank you hugh thank you there you go michelle perfect the, the man the man the myth the legend wins the uh mr d it's almost 30 to 1 and uh it was really fun. It was good talking to him. I like having guys who have a lot of experience and, and like listening to those kind of stories. I think it, it it's really cool. I completely agree with you, Billy. I think that it's amazing. And, and I, how did he say it again? Arx, Arx, Axarben. Axarben. Yeah. 
I, like, well, he I, won't hang I, up. I, he, he's still on the line. He can say it again. Oh, he should say it again. Exorbin. 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 All right. It's Nebraska spelled backwards. It's Nebraska spelled backwards. Didn't you know that? There's no in Nebraska. All right. I think Hugh wants to stay on for the end of the show. Hugh, go be with your wife. Go be with your wife. And tell her thank you. By the way, his wife facilitated having Hugh on and not only tried to keep him in line, but also uh, gave me fair warning that sometimes he can be a little dry. But I thought his humor was fantastic. I I thought he was really good, Michelle. This is it. This is the final, final weekend for uh, Delmar and Saratoga, Michelle. How do you feel? feel i don't know i mean happy <laughs> i'm gonna tell you something i watched a lot of the fox coverage this weekend that you were on and I, along with most people on twitter i thought you were fantastic oh thanks billy i really appreciate it I it's think... really to do big shows like that um and to jump into like a whole crew like that who, who works together really well and they were super welcoming it was it was very fun I know, but here's the thing. I think personally, and I don't know if you've talked to your producers or whatever, I think you've worked really hard to improve your cadence, the way you interview people, the way people relate to you, um, your excitement, your uh, just the manner that you go about your business, I think is very professional, but it's also fun. And I think you, you bring uh, a certain style that uh, is well needed in our industry. Thank, thank you, Billy. That is so nice. I, you know, it's funny you mentioned my cadence changing because that has been like the number one thing I've worked on the last like decade. My iPad that I carry around has a huge sign that says relax, slow down, take a breath. And uh, both uh, Amy Zimmerman, who's my, my head honcho at Santa Anita, and Tony, who's over there at Naira, have instilled in me the last several years to slow it down, girl. Yeah, so but it, but it, you're so natural and you know so much about the the horses and the races. It's nice. And it's nice just to um, when you come up with a question, say, for a jockey after the race, rather than just like, you know, you were in front at the three ace pole. Like, what were you thinking? Or, you know, it's just like you kind of were more in depth, I believe, than a lot of people are. And, and you notice things and you bring it up and bring it to people's attention. I, I thought you were you were fantastic. So that's oh, my last compliment of the day for you. I don't want you getting a big head. Um, So then I'll go back. I'll return to to work stuff. I just wanted to make a note because we were talking about two Emmys being a $20,000 claimer. And that was actually one of the points I made this weekend at Saratoga. Uh, One of Mike Maker's horses, I think it was cross-border, but now my mind's muddy. Um, He was a $20,000 claimer, and he's made almost a million dollars. And Blind Luck was a maiden 20 who went on to be a multiple credit stakes winner and a champion. And then, of course, there's good old Maximum Security, who was a $16,000 claimer. So um, don't say it can't happen, right? And, Billy, you had a, a horse that was a, six, a former $16,000 claimer. We did? Yeah. Who? Fault. Oh, right. And, I mean, there's sure. – listen, 16. good horses can come from anywhere. And that's we, – we talked about the claiming game several weeks ago. And, like, what do you look for and how do you do it? Like a horse like – I thought you were going to say North County guy because we claimed North County guy for 20 um, oh, and, yeah. and he's gone on to have an amazing career once he well, moved to the, the grass, grass and stretched out. And um, so, there, you know, these horses, they, a lot of times we're in a now society, Michelle. It's like right now they have to be successful right now. And if they're not, it's like, oh, they're not a good horse. But, right. you know, the, like he said about English channels, English channels take a while. They're not really meant to be two year olds. 
Um, and there are certain horses that are bred to go longer and to go really long, like the Arlington Million or the Mr. D, excuse me. Um, and, and, and you just have to be – I think what his point was to his son, Mac, was to just be patient. And it's so hard in this game to be patient. It's so hard to say, you know what, maybe this horse is not a two-year-old. Let's give him 90 days. Um, it, it's really difficult because the, it's the affordability – and of what we're trying to do here in the sport, it it's it makes it tough. And we already say every week, and I mentioned this, Michelle, I did the um I filled in for Frank Scatoni on Sunday. I, I don't know if you saw it, but I interviewed Jim Rome. Um, oh awesome. Yeah, and 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 I, I said thought you were filling in for me. No, oh man, I don't on know. Friday. No, I didn't. Someone else did that. I don't know who did that. They didn't ask no, me. To do that. No one did it. I thought you were. Oh, they didn't ask me. That there was a miscommunication. Oh, then I would have. I was happy to do it. I told Claire. Anyway, I, I we can talk. I, I don't think anybody wants to hear this. But what I was saying, I reiterated to Jimmy just how hard this game was, and we talked about ups and downs and the roller coaster because we talked about shared belief, and we can talk a little bit about the shared belief stakes in a second. But you know, that's one of the craziest stories ever. I mean, they get involved with this horse that broke his maiden impressively at Golden Gate. He's a little tiny thing, but he's got a giant heart and an amazing stride, and he's. And and they go through and have an unbelievable career, but it was so brief, you know, and it was taken from him. And it's that's the ultimate roller coaster right there is shared belief. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. How would you like the shared belief stakes? We're going to we already talked about it. We're going to talk. We haven't for all those of you listening. We we recorded the interview first, so I'm sure we're going to talk about this. We I'm sure we've already talked about the shared belief. We've talked about the share belief if you're listening on the radio. What do we have next week, Michelle? This is it. What do we have okay, at so Del Mar? We're in the home stretch. Here we go. And down the stretch they come for. Um, I don't think that was a good your best impression. Can you do a Trevor? And down the stretch they come. Heads are turned for home. <laughs> you're way better. I don't know why you have me do it. You're the one that does Trevor. Heads are turned for home, Billy. Go. They turn for home in the Santa Barbara. That's the one I All answer. right, so we're turning for home at Del Mar. Um, races Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and, of course, closing day is Monday. Do you want to note that for um, – they are moving up post time, okay? So 130. for Friday, it's going to be at 3.30. 3.30. And then Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, 1.30. So it's 30 minutes earlier than it would normally be. Um, for Friday, obviously, we still have Beach Boss as well as the Generous Portions. Saturday is the Grade 1 Del Mar Derby, the John C. Maybe, and the I'm Smokin'. Uh, Sunday is the TVG Del Mar Debutante, Ooh. as well as the Del Mar Juvenile Phillies Turf. Ooh. And by the way, Taste of the Turf Club is sold out. Ah. Um, and then for closing day, the Del, Mar Futur- the Del Mar Juvenile, and then the Run Happy Del Mar Futurity, which is uh, you know the, the big baby race. Uh, I think it's going to be a pretty short field, if I'm not mistaken, though. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I read about it the other day. I think only maybe five or six. I think eight or nine for the debutante, Michelle. And uh, yeah. we, I am really looking forward to this race. This is going to be an awesome race. All right. Well, I think it could I be the race of the meet. One more. One more week. Yeah. One more week. Oh, one more week. Yeah. Special thanks to everyone who listens to the show. We really appreciate you. You can uh, hit us on at own horse at the Michelle U at BKLRF on Twitter. We are part of the In the Money Podcasting Network, In the Money Media Network. Excuse me. Uh, some great shows out there for you to listen to, including uh, JK and Pete and Acacia and and uh, who am I missing, Michelle? Everybody, Nick. Everybody, Nick. Uh, great. Uh, you know what? And I'm looking forward to, I, we're all going to probably get together for Breeders' Cup, right? Michelle, we should plan something. 
Oh yeah. Like an ultimate pod of all the in the money media. Ultimate pod. You, okay, I, I you didn't watch in the money this week, I'm sure. I did. Uh, I don't. For horse players happy hour, I was supposed to be on there and call a race, and I was in a bar that had no service, so I had to go outside, and it's like right in the middle of a party occurring for sure. <laughs> so I had to like sit down on the curb because there was no available seats or anything, because you know everyone's sitting out on all the all the outside tables. And I had to call a race literally sitting on the curb. I, I said I called it from the gutter. Nice. It was, it was probably the like, <laughs> low, lowest moments of my life. <laughs> well, Michelle, whatever you do is fantastic. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, TaylorMade Stallions. And uh, thank you, everybody. We'll be back. We Sorry we missed a week. There was a, a Michelle was in a way. My, my computer broke. We had just a terrible week last week. So we're glad we're back on the beam. We'll be with you next week for sure for a wrap-up. Michelle, I think I'm, oh, I'm home that day. So we'll do something definitely as we wrap up Delmar and Saratoga. Michelle, you're the best. We'll see you next week. Bye.